0: Hey, everybody, Eric Wright here from the Disco Posse podcast, and I'm extremely excited about this big, really cool episode we've got. Number one, because it's a really fantastic conversation. Uh, you're going to enjoy this. Uh, I've been a longtime fan of, of Chris uh, Saltis, who we're going to talk to, but more than anything, this is our first, uh, one of the first ones where we're actually going straight to video. So very cool. So if you go to the YouTube channel for Disco Posse podcast, you can check out the actual full video of this. How crazy is that uh so anyways i hope you enjoy that it's a nice little mix up for the style that we can bring to the show this show is brought to you by our good friends over at veeam software so if you want to check out everything you need for your data protection need then make sure you do click on that link below if you go to vee.am forward slash disco posse you can see everything you need for your data protection needs across the cloud on premises, even containers and cloud native. So check out the really cool stuff they're doing with the recent acquisition of Kasten. Because you thought, hey, everything I've got is cloud native and containerized, so I don't need to back it up. Guess what? Got bad news. Also, don't forget, you got to back that SaaS up. So SaaS is also uh, something you need to protect. Check out their uh, the Office 365 and all sorts of craziness. So anyways, I hope you enjoy that. I'm a big fan of Veeam. They're really cool supporters. Uh, so thank you and shout out. Go to vee.am forward slash disco posse. Also, if you want to get your cell on, if you really want to increase your capabilities to connect with people through doing technical demos, then make sure you go and you check out my really, really cool guide. I would printed a really neat ebook, as well as an audiobook. And I've got a course to help you to better connect with people through technology demos. It's actually called the Four Step Guide to Delivering Extraordinary Software Demos That Win Deals. What a title, eh? Anyways, the easiest way to get there is just go to velocityclosing.com. i will take you right to the link, and you can actually buy it. You get the ebook and you get the audio course, which is available uh, coming up in the spring here. And on top of that, you get access to AMAs and all sorts of inside stuff. So I can help you to kind of guide through your product marketing or product selling for a technical seller. At any rate, let's get right to the fun stuff. This show features Chris Saltis. Chris is the co-founder and CEO of mist.io. Chris and I have gone way back through open source and all sorts of really neat history. It's a fantastic conversation talking about the myths and the mysteries of hybrid cloud and a lot more about his background. Super fun. Hope you enjoy the show.
1: I'm uh, Chris Psaltis. I'm the co-founder and CEO of uh, MistIO, and you're uh, watching the Disco Volsi podcast.
0: this is oh. the funny thing i'm i'm excited today because like you and i have been kind of like almost bumping into each other in so many different ways yeah. through the industry uh and so for folks that don't know you uh chris let's have you sort of introduce yourself we'll talk about uh mist io uh we'll talk about a lot of things and one of the one of the big subjects i want to get into is sort of the the myths of multi-cloud and kind of like what the pundits thought it was going to be, and what it actually is in practice, and I know you got a lot of like real world field experience about that stuff. So let's start with you. How tell us about where we can find you online and, and all that good stuff. Uh,
1: so okay, yes. Uh, so as I said, I'm my name is Chris Psaltis. I'm the co-founder and uh, CEO of uh, MistIO. Uh, I'm an engineer, uh, although I've turned a uh, business executive along the <laughs> way, uh, for good or for worse. And uh, at Mist.io, we're uh, building an open source uh, multi-cloud management platform. Uh, and that's where you know the whole experience uh, around uh, multi-cloud comes from, uh, from uh, the cases of uh, users and customers uh, over uh, several years. Uh, so, uh, you can, uh, find me online on Twitter and LinkedIn. Uh, I'm not a, like a regular social, uh, media person, uh, but you know, reach out to me uh, there or, uh, over email and I will get back to you for sure.
0: <laughs> now, the, the neat thing about how like I, I've, got so much history you know in the industry alongside you it's it's hilarious when we go back and you start to trace back like when we probably first actually met and didn't even know it you know because we had yeah. a lot of stuff in in open source uh we've you know OpenStack. yeah Do you remember those days <laughs> I, know, I still have the scars to prove it yeah <laughs> Because you did a lot of early stuff with, uh, you were doing stuff with RackSpace. I remember that that was probably the first time I think I bumped into yeah. you. Was that you were actually, I think you were actually interviewed by Robert Scoble, and I remember yeah. seeing that. And I was like, Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You know, those were. That was when RackSpace was like all about the, you know, the open cloud. And 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 it's funny that they've evolved so much and gone private and then public and then private. Like, it's everybody's going through these really wild shifts in the Public cloud and and you know hosted managed public cloud ecosystem. So it's uh, it's
1: it's a very interesting space and it's because it's changing all the time. Uh, so it's a very dynamic situation. That's the, that's the beauty of it. Uh, but yes, I think like the first step, the first time we uh, bumped into each other was back then. Like uh, oh, I can't, I don't even want to want to say <laughs> what what was the year then. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, the, it's, the the neat thing about where like open ecosystems and open tech is right now, I truly believe that it's, it's thriving on the back of OpenStack. I think that OpenStack created uh, a momentum of first belief in the power of, of open technologies and, and open source platforms that can work at scale. And we're still seeing, true, like OpenStack still succeeding very well in areas, like in areas of the world and in in areas like telecommunications. So stuff that's where we don't see it as a consumer and B2B stuff, but it's really, it's still out there thriving in a very interesting and unique set of use cases. But what it did was it taught us that it's not easy to run your own DIY upstream open source platform. And so then we went through the ecosystem challenges where everybody started creating distributions. And then there was this kind of war of of the minds of, like, well, no, it should be purely like, it should deploy from code, from source every time. So you got that crowd. And then you've got the, no, I wanna buy my stuff from VMware and EMC and Dell and, and Cisco. So I want to come on a CD. <laughs> like they want to get a release every quarter with an update, uh, and and we believed still a lot in that this would be the main platform, not that it would be part of a, a portfolio of platforms. And it didn't succeed because of all of those things. Like at, commercially, I'll say it didn't succeed as well as as some would have hoped. But yeah. Kubernetes is is now because we we earned our our stripes kind of trying open source in OpenStack and we realized where it, where it worked where it didn't and, and we learned a lot about ourselves as as organizations. Uh, so anyways, that was a lot but like what's your experience on it because you you're on you're both in you know open clouds, obviously the commercial proprietary public clouds you're you're covering the gamut in the in how you're touching the world and and the customers you work with.
1: Yeah, well, we uh, we have seen and we have touched and we have worked with pretty much uh, everything uh, since uh, 2009. Uh, like back in the day, we were running a consulting agency. Uh, we had uh, customers around the world, uh, and we were doing uh, open source development for them, uh, maintaining uh, these uh, packages. Uh, as well as, you know, handling the whole deployment, maintenance uh, thing, uh, training, and all that. So uh, over time, we have worked with pretty much everything. And uh, practically, the reason we've built mistio was to help ourselves uh, ser- serve those customers. Uh, like back, back then, they were... Uh, phew, all over the place, so like AWS, Rockspace, uh, On-Prem, Colo, uh, VMware, you know, uh, most of them are still there. Uh, but uh, we were a small team and uh, we wanted to do things like, you know, make our lives uh, simpler and uh, know what we have, where do we have it without having to go through all sorts of uh, interfaces, tools, etc um and we also wanted to help our customers control their spending and uh, um, make it easier for them to provision stuff without calling us and saying oh you know chris i need a vm abcd like that uh so that's uh, how we started working on MIST.io uh, to uh scratch <laughs> our own it's and you know we had uh, we had the feeling that this would be a weekend or two product uh, project, but yeah, it turned out much, much <laughs> bigger <right>. than that. <laughs>
0: it's funny how that happens. <laughs> yeah. uh,
1: but, you know, along the way, we have worked with uh, pretty uh, much every uh, infrastructure technology out there. Uh, we're big open source uh, fans, so we have uh, committed code uh, as well. Yeah, uh, all the way, you know, from uh the OpenStack community days uh to Kubernetes and all. Um yeah. So Sorry. it's it's certainly interesting. Uh and I'm I am i am not sure if like you mentioned uh OpenStack and uh how it has uh, uh evolved to become Kubernetes, let's say in some in some way. Uh, I don't know if kubernetes is the end state though it's it's right. it's the end game and that's the beautiful thing about this space you never get bored there's also always something <laughs> new coming up uh and in fact I think like the the time between these new generations of uh things uh is getting uh, shorter and shorter uh like we went from mainframes to uh, blades to uh, virtualized to containers uh, and all that is getting uh, a little bit shorter every time. Every iteration is getting shorter. Now I, I'm I'm waiting to see what what's coming up next.
0: Yeah, the the thing that's interesting about each of those phases was they solved a specific problem and like the mainframe to distributed was definitely a shift in the languages that were prevalent at the time or growing at the time and you couldn't host them on the mainframe and people were tired of batch they needed more real time so that was and i remembered working in an organization and, and there's like the huge like the mainframe was the business it was literally like it's a massive yeah. well people can read my linkedin so i worked at sun life <laughs> so, so <laughs> it, it, it's sunlight financials where i worked for for years and i started in and i started in the distributed side. I started on desktop and then moved to distributed servers. And I literally got told, I'm like, they're like, oh, this distributed stuff is kind of a fad. I see that it's kind of scaling up, but you know, you already have like 50 servers. You know, I, I don't understand why it's getting so out of control. And that's how it was viewed. It's like, it's getting out of control. Yeah. And you're like, uh, I think this is actually gonna be a thing. It's gonna stick. And next thing you know, we had like 1500 servers and i had more domain controllers than i had you know back then in in, in total server camp and then from there we moved so client server didn't work for web you know and all of a sudden we had web and then web became web 2.0 and then became like so i, I love this like you said this iterative thing but it comes much faster and uh, so can can trends as well like i think the trends come and go quickly uh but like I remember there was a time, when was it? Not even that long ago. And the whole big thing was when Google released Go and people started using it. It was like this is very cool. It's like it's an amazing language. And you know, as I'm not a programmer, so I'm like, but I hear from programmers, they love it. You know, it's strongly tight, loose, like whatever it's all this crazy stuff, but it's super <laughs> fast, it could do all these neat things. And people started to put it, like, on their web page of, like, our product was built with Go. Like, it was like it was a yeah. thing, you yeah. know, like shiny bumpers. And then I re- they realized, like, no, you can't just refactor everything in Go and make it better. Like, it's going to be horrifying if you spend all your time <laughs> refactoring into a different language. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you've seen a lot of those shifts in like why people are are moving and and how they're leveraging it. So we look today at multi-cloud and so when when did multi anything become like acceptable? Cuz I feel like it's people are figured it out. They're like, "Okay, we get it. We can't get rid of one thing and take on the other." Yeah, I think I think it
1: was all, always there. Uh, it was uh, always there because, uh, in the sense of not exactly cloud, but you know, different types of infrastructure hosting different applications. Um, when things moved on for, from mainframes to uh, virtualized servers, not at all applications were migrated from the mainframes to the virtual servers and uh it it didn't make a lot of sense either it was totally impossible or crazy expensive or you know if it's not broken why fix it right uh so i think that that situation was around since the the beginning uh it's certainly not something new however again thinking from my personal experience back in 2012 2013 the uh, the the comments I uh, I heard when I was talking about multi cloud was like, what? Well, who who is who is ever going to do this? Why why that's get right. into so much trouble? Uh, AWS will beat everyone. Uh, everybody will run on AWS, and uh, that's it. Period. Maybe they will have something on prem, but at some point they will migrate it uh, to uh, to the public cloud. Um, so. Yeah, this certainly didn't happen. (laughs) Uh, And I think it's only now that people start realizing that, you know, all these different generations of things uh, are uh, running at the same time. There will never be a state where a reasonably large organization, I'm not talking like a a startup here or uh, anything like that, but... Uh, a reasonably uh, big uh, organization with some history behind it will be on a single platform, and that's it, period. It will never be this case. So although I'm, I still don't think that the multi-cloud term is the perfect the perfect one to describe something like that, um, this uh, heterogeneity, let's say, uh, is, is here. It's been here forever, and it will stay with us Uh, I don't know if forever is a very strong word, but it will uh, stay with us for uh, a long time. As those new generations of infrastructure technologies get introduced, old ones don't die, uh, new are just added. uh, And then you have this continuum of uh, different types of technologies that need to somehow work together or even uh co exist in a reasonable way. So uh, in in that sense, I, I, I think that people only recently started uh, realizing that they need to do something about it and uh they need to embrace this situation rather than just be uh denying it.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's the like the seven stages of grief, it's like the seven stages of multi-cloud. There's you know distrust punditry to the belief that it doesn't actually exist or that it does the thing that you didn't expect it to do the grief uh you know like there's all these different layers and then finally acceptance Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. yeah. yeah
1: i think we're we're there now yeah we're in the acceptance state
0: the funny thing about the and i put punditry in the middle of that because i think the the loudest voices are the ones that we shouldn't listen to because for so long you saw these people that really like they their whole purpose is to have an opinion and have it be strong and have it be bold. And we got told about, you know, this multi-cloud vision of a, of an application that will run somewhere and it'll be brokered between the clouds and it'll go to wherever's yeah. cheapest at the moment. And that just, because of data gravity, because of all these other things, because of other supporting services like identity and access management and all these other things. It just didn't make sense unless you were LinkedIn or Netflix or whatever. And even there, they're not really doing it across clouds that are going to cross regions, if anything, right? Uh,
1: Certainly this uh, marketing and sales talk uh, wasn't uh, really helpful. And it (laughs) kind of created this perception of multi-cloud as being something uh, not uh, very... uh, let's say not very advisable uh, because I'm sure I think you've, you've written about that as well. Like those uh, open stack days when cloud bursting was a thing, yeah. like I would be running OpenStack on-prem and then I would burst uh, to AWS or wherever. Yeah. So like there was a lot of um, miscommunication around actual use cases and uh, when it does a uh, make sense uh to do multi-cloud how to do multi-cloud so probably people didn't understand it very well uh back then or they were too eager to push their own version of uh, whatever product they were uh, selling and this um, uh, this had a negative effect in uh, the space uh, altogether and for some time I believe that was a, a key thing that dragged, Uh, the whole adoption of and the acceptance of uh, uh, multi-cloud yeah but I think we're over that now Uh, yeah yeah so uh, things are much better certainly
0: I even remember the days of like Randy Bias sort of strongly driving the idea of the the Nova EC2 uh, API API and like just signed the the sort of this vitriol that he received feel like no it's like this is a proprietary commercial thing we can't allow it to be and i understand kind of why why that really strong internal open only opinion was there but unfortunately i think it that may have actually extended the the viability of OpenStack if they had used it as a manager yeah. of and the good news is that got that out of the way and and then missed IO <laughs> to solve the problem. but like it's is so funny that we've we've seen we've come close to the edge of crossing the chasm between different vendors and different platforms so a few times. And then because the people that are trying to do it, are way too involved in one of the two places. It's like any open standard. Everyone says, "Yeah, we should all accept a standard. Let's start with mine." And yeah. this is why the the unopinionated multi-cloud, and this is why I like I really dig what your team is doing. Is this that you can prevent? It uh, presents an unopinionated way to consume, control these ecosystems, and then. Like, and just accept that, right? What do you want to do well? Then let's do that. And then underneath it, we'll leverage stuff. And by the way, it's going to cost you a bundle if you do it on your own as well. So we can kind of reel that in too, which is kind of neat.
1: Yeah, that, that's uh, that's the, the the cool thing and the hard thing uh, at the same time. <laughs> <It's right. laughs> uh And... It, since you brought up uh, this discussion with uh, the EC2 API and OpenStack, I never really understood why they didn't do it. Uh, yeah, I was I was in front of such discussions with Randy, and uh, it, it made perfect sense. I don't I don't still cannot explain why they uh, didn't uh, uh, adopt this. Uh, it, it was the vendors pushing back. I don't know. I, I have I have no idea. It it, it made perfect sense. Uh, And uh, I think that this is probably the right way to go today as well, like have some sort of baseline API uh, that works across any underlying infrastructure uh, platform. And that's what we are trying to do, like create this uh, multi-cloud API uh, without making any assumptions about uh, the underlying underlying uh, layers. Uh, it's not the EC2 API though. Uh, it's y- yet another one. But uh, in yeah. any case, uh, it's uh, like one one of the core things that we're uh, we're trying to to solve. And yeah, it's interesting, but it's hard, unfortunately.
0: <laughs> well, it's it's super important, and, and I kind of call it the like the manager of managers, I think is one of the phrases that we use in that idea that you can create a consumable layer that underneath it will be comprised of other opinionated layers, and and creating that right level of abstraction is where where that that's where the huge value is. And it's a big weight off of an internal engineering team, when they don't have to worry about that. This is why, you know, another uh, great team that I had on uh, from a company called Hasura and, and they've got really neat stuff that they're doing around GraphQL. And effectively mm-hmm. using GraphQL as a front end behind all this other data, because no one wants to move their data from where it is to a database that has a GraphQL API already present. So they're like, fine, mm-hmm. we'll abstract it, give you the GraphQL, you know, capabilities yes. on whatever your legacy data platform is and they're slowly adding more stuff. And, and that's that's really cool to engineer it there. I think that's the, the right place to attack the problem.
1: There are several ways to do it. I mean, uh, our approach is just uh, one of uh, the potential approaches. It depends on your use case a lot. Like uh, this example uh, you gave is a good example of a multi-cloud approach without actually uh, going uh, exactly multi-cloud. Like you introduce a new layer on top that a new application that works in a multi-cloud environment. So, using multi-cloud applications is certainly one way to uh, to do it. Uh, uh, the other option would be to standardize, like on some sort of infrastructure API, like you know the example we discussed uh, back uh, from the OpenStack days, like standardize on the EC2 API. Uh, but then you need other components that work with the EC2 API. Uh, OpenStack didn't do it. Uh, Maybe if they did, it would be much better. Uh, But nowadays we have Kubernetes and Kubernetes serves as this layer, let's say, of abstraction. It's not exactly the VM layer, it's not exactly an application layer, it's somewhere in between. Uh, So, you know, we we see people standardizing against uh, Kubernetes and once uh, you do that, like at least in theory, you can run it on-prem, off-prem, get it as a managed service. So th- you can simplify your uh, life with that. Then, then is also like something like the MISTIO approach, let's say, where we are communicating directly with the infrastructure layer. Uh, and but, but you also have all those tools like Ansible, Terraform, uh, things like that, where you try to abstract the workflow Right. rather than the infrastructure underneath it. So there are like many, many different ways you can achieve similar results. Um, they're not exactly complementary. They're not exactly competing. Uh, there are, There is a lot of overlap and it kind of depends on, you know, what you're trying to achieve in the end of the day. Uh, what's your setup like? Uh, what's your uh, team experience? And uh, what you're trying to do. Uh, so I'm, I think that at least today, the whole space is much more interesting because of all these things that are available uh, out there, uh, where you can pick the pieces that make more sense for your use
0: case. In even if you've nailed it down, you said, all right, the entire organization is aligning on AWS or Azure or whatever it's going to be, or OpenStack, you know, Rackspace, whatever you like pick the cloud, you know, we're going to go on the Atos Managed Cloud, it, whatever it's going to be. Like you'd say like, this is it, line in the sand, everything's going here and they succeed and it would be a magical world. It would be like waking up <laughs> from a dream and then they announce the acquisition of another company that's running um, entirely on a Google Cloud. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> (laughs) 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 there's no way like that even if you win you've not you're not done winning you are bound to bump in and i think that's that's the biggest multi-cloud use case i've seen in production deployments today is multi by acquisition cloud where Mm -hmm. they just didn't have a choice like they acquired a a bunch of workloads they acquired a a, you know a sub company and and that's it like so they're not going to rewrite it and refactor it
1: this is this is a very common use case. Uh, legacy stuff we discussed already. This is another very common uh, use case. Uh, you cannot erase history. And the example you said, like from today, we're uh, just on Azure and nothing else. I, I haven't seen it. Uh, never. Like even if people tried uh, <laughs> over times in several occasions, they, they all failed. Um, the other uh, common uh, situation is that You know, I have a team that's uh, more uh, familiar with uh, Google Cloud versus Azure. So, you know, I may have a lot of things running on Azure, but then this team is running on Google and uh, the team next to it is running on AWS for uh, whatever reason. Uh, So it's mostly about the people. Because in the end of the day, as a business, you want your people to be able to move faster. And if adopting something new helps them move faster, it will probably happen even without you knowing it. Right. <laughs> uh, so that's that's another common reason we see. And and then uh, something that's getting uh, pits a lot lately, um, although I, I don't think that we're quite there yet, is getting the best from uh, from its cloud. I'm getting big query from Google. I love it. It's very fast. Very very uh, very uh, nice. I'm getting AI A- ML stuff from Google. Uh, I'm getting uh, data lake stuff from AWS. So I mix and match depending on the on the on the needs of the workload. Um, I think people are m- mostly talking about it, but they don't actually do it. Right. Um, I do believe though that over time. Uh, This will change and we will have cases where, you know, as clouds differentiate between them uh, more and more and more and try to uh, become uh, dominant players in a specific field, it will probably make more sense to start, you know, mixing and matching based on feature set and uh, functionality.
0: Yeah. It's like multi-cloud is like good dieting. Everybody says they're doing it, but nobody's actually doing it. (laughs) Like we, we, we definitely slip. And and I think that's fair. I think the, like you said at the start, like it's acceptance. We have to understand that this is just, it doesn't make sense to, it's not the hill you want to die on is that whether you can narrow down to a single cloud or you want to do this, this, you know, pie in the sky use case of, of spanning clouds. And, you know, even, even just the the whole data structure problem is probably one of the biggest things that people really really struggle with and in the end it just it just doesn't make sense like why that's why data lakes are fantastic that you can take us you know like a data warehouse remember that was back in the old day I'm old yeah. so I remember data warehouse we had like <laughs> tl teams that like they start their whole thing uh, in fact, I you know if I had a recent uh, conversation with a named Rick Hall, and their company is doing this kind of like data front end layer of like solving that problem of like bring your data to one spot, leave it mm-hmm. in data lakes all over the place, and then we'll just pick up buckets as you need it. So I think the just this understanding that in production we know. We we've got legacy and it's, uh, you know, as I always say, some you call it legacy, I call it production, you know, like these are (laughs) going to live a long time.
1: Yeah, like uh, Mitchell, Mitchell Hasimoto uh, has a nice line I borrow from time to time. He he says that like you don't choose multi cloud. Multi cloud chooses you, <laughs> and I, I I think that's very 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 accurate. Uh, it sounds funny, but this is how it happens in in real life, and the reality is messy. So uh, you better uh, just accept the fact and uh, move forward rather than uh, try to deny it.
0: Yeah, it's like even I remembered the like the architectural perfection that we chase, you know, like enterprise architects, like we have to think that way. It's like the, the the saying goes, you know, plans are useless, but planning is essential. Yeah. And we'd have these big UML diagrams on the office wall, and it'd be called a day in the life of whatever application. And you'd see all the flows of data comes from here, goes here, runs in batch. Then here's the real time. And we'd like show all these shims and plugins and arrows. It was neat. And then like 72 hours later, somebody <laughs> would fire in some Ruby on Rails, you know, API front end on some other thing. And it, next thing you know, it's... And that will never get documented, and that UML diagram just grows start from scratch. And uh, yeah, you start all over. But the now here's the other thing: How did you get to very well, you know, glue together the importance of the business value to the technical value? Because you're a really good engineer, you're a good builder, but you you think business. So you kind of joked at the start that you've you've had to become a, a business person, you know. But it's in you, like I I can tell. And just even the way we've always had our discussions, it's like you you always look further. Like the the excitement of the tech never outweighs the value to the business. How did that happen?
1: I don't know to be honest. Like uh, I'm I'm not a business executive by education or anything like that. Uh, uh, I'm an, an engineer. And uh, rather a geeky one, like I, I studied uh, computer vision, machine learning, things like that. So uh, rather hardcore stuff, like uh, let's say. Uh, and um, it, of, it, it kind of it kind of happened along the way. Yeah, it, I, you know, I as I was discussing with people who were having problems and. Uh, I wanted to help them. I uh, I didn't try to uh, uh, sell them stuff that uh, would make uh, no sense. Uh, so that's how I think, kind of, of, kind of evolved. Like we were very customer user centric. Um, we were always uh, part of communities uh, in uh, the open source world. So we have this. The level of empathy, let's say, and uh, the, the, the real drive to help people uh, solve their problems, because these are problems that we are facing ourselves. Uh, and uh, so we have an even greater motivation to uh, solve the problems for ourselves and uh, solve those problems for other people out there uh to help them make their life easier because life shouldn't be about managing multi-cloud infrastructure (laughs) it should be be about something else
0: (laughs) yeah that's the it's like the old thing of like like multi-cloud management isn't your actual problem the problem is that you've got development teams that are coming from different backgrounds that have legacy applications that are already in place and you need to bring those together that's the real multi-cloud problem but yeah if you're if you think the problem is that i want to use aws and azure for funsies like that's not that's not your problem <laughs> uh, uh,
1: yeah yeah yeah. Uh, but we are guilty uh, there as well it's hard to resist uh, signing new things <laughs> speaking as engineers uh and yeah so we have done that we had uh, our first air of trouble because the, the first uh, cool new thing we saw, we jumped right into it, uh, and that's how we adopted the containers. <laughs> actually,
0: <laughs> well, I think it's necessary, and that's what's made that's what makes you. This is why I love, you know, when we get to engage because it's like you. You you do it in the sense that you want to see where it breaks. Not yeah, like, exactly. There's the cool factor of it, and like it's my favorite thing. I love testing the edges, and then you find it like, whoo! Wow, that didn't work out like I <laughs> hoped. Make sure we don't do that in production. But that's how you yeah, get yeah. it out, right?
1: And uh, maybe sometime you will find out in production as well. It didn't happen to us.
0: <laughs> yeah, we don't. We don't always. As Charity Major says, you all test in production. Whether you believe it or not, you all test in production.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, so your so background
0: that- is wild. Like, so let's. Uh, what what got you into Going very deep on, you know, you talked about vision and machine learning and AI. Like, what what drew you to that as a as a, an area of study?
1: Um, I it like it's it's a tough question uh, to be honest. Like, I was uh, I I was I think that I'm not 100 sure though. Uh, I'm I think that I was mostly motivated by the whole science fiction uh, fantasy of uh, making uh, artificial intelligence and uh, replacing all those things that you currently do manually with, uh, with software. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so like a part of the AI uh, problem is uh, computer vision that was closer to what I was doing uh, during my uh, university days so i went uh, from you know student i started my phd in machine learning computer vision uh, i got engaged in uh, research projects uh, you know, on those subjects and you know at some point like a friend of mine called me and said you know we're uh, we're thinking to uh, start a company maybe pick up a couple of uh, research projects from here and there are you interested i know you're working with this stuff Oh yeah like sign me up and then you know we started the company and then nothing happened we we lost all our applications Uh, (laughs) for for the grants we had in mind Uh, we got rejected everywhere and uh like a couple of weeks i think ago uh, after the last uh, rejection uh, some people in uh, the team were in a conference uh in a python open source conference and you know they found a customer with who was like totally unrelated with what we had to do uh we, we had in mind to do at least and yeah that's that's how it started and uh one thing led to the other it's uh it's hard to explain it's uh a set of coincidences let's say
0: <laughs> yeah well that's and that's in effect you know what what does sort of the best thing is like you take an, an actual like active problem and you try and solve it and especially consulting led businesses, you know, in doing the consulting and doing that practical on the ground work, you then realize, oh, I need a tool or a method to do this thing because I'm doing it all the time. And then you realize, hey, if I'm having this problem over and over again, maybe somebody else is. So next thing you know, your consulting practice becomes a product led business. Yeah. And it's neat to see the transition as you go through that, like how, so how fast was this move from, hey, we're at a conference and I think I've got a customer for something to like, okay, we are, we've officially pivoted.
1: (laughs) Uh, I think it was five, four, four or five years, something like that. Yeah.
0: Uh it's not like the books go like when you read hatching twitter you like you write one chapter to the next as if it was like overnight over a weekend it was actually like uh, years uh, in between these stages right
1: it, it it was it was much longer and it certainly felt uh, much longer mm-hmm. <laughs> uh but then uh, you know during uh, during the, the first uh, beta release, let's say, of uh, Myst.io, we applied uh, to an accelerator in, uh, in California, Mozilla's accelerator back in the day. Uh, we got accepted. You know, we had this open source mindset. We wanted to do something that's more uh, open source uh, related. Uh, so uh, me and my co-founder, we landed in uh, San Francisco in uh, early 2013, I think. And then, you know, probably the the next day we were like, okay, forget about the consulting business. Now we're doing this. <laughs> <I'm not laughs> <Yeah. here. laughs> this is it. This is, the cut. This yeah, is yeah. it. Like, yeah, it was like, uh, I've never, uh, I've never been in uh, California and uh, Silicon Valley before that, uh, that occasion. Uh, so it was like a revelation. It was like a, the, the mecca of the technology people. It was, yeah, uh, it yeah. was a weird, weird feeling.
0: It's funny that one of the fellows that I've come up in the industry with a lot uh, named Angelo Luciani if you uh, if you know Angelo he was big and uh, so we came out of the VMware community primarily we did a lot of stuff because we ran it at my own environment and and so we we ran the VMUG the user group and we were involved in that and I remember going to VMworld like the first time and we were in a cab together cuz we both flew in from Toronto and we landed and we're going down the 101 heading from the airport to san francisco and it was just that we're like i'm never i'm canceling my return flights this is at home <laughs> like every sign is for a technology company like i came from a I, w- I worked at an insurance company and then a financial services company where it was seen as like a, a pain in the butt like yeah. you were you were never going to make more than the back office people for the company because that was not the heart of their business. Like right. IT was not seen as so. Canadian engineering teams don't tend to make a lot of money. And so we're, you can see why we're easily tempted towards the US sort of salary range. Uh, but it was funny, like you said, there's that Mo where you're like, it's different here. And, uh, but to talk on that, you're not located in California. <laughs> no, no, no. no, no. <laughs> and you've been successful in 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 keeping your your company and growing the company. So what's it like living uh, so, outside of the valley, right? I'm curious.
1: Uh look, first of all, we are a US company and uh some of our investors are coming from uh, the states as well. So yep. Uh, we, but that was the the plan since uh, day one. I mean, uh, the plan was that you know our market is uh, in North America mostly, right? Uh, the uh, the audience is there, the need for something like that is mostly there, where you know cloud ad- adoption was much uh, faster and still is much uh, faster than in Europe. But you also get a lot of other side benefits, like you know it's a more uh, homogeneous uh, market, Uh, uh, one language, uh, mostly one cultural background, whereas in Europe, you have to deal with all those different uh, types of uh, people, language barriers, things like that. Um, So we we had our our minds in following what I would uh, say, like the Israeli model uh you know develop in develop and do r&d in uh, greece where we are coming from and we're based uh, but you know sell and market uh, in uh, in north america right um and this has some uh, side benefits as well of course you know the, the cost of living here is much lower than california everywhere is i think everywhere is much lower (laughs) than california Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, i uh,
0: i it's hard to rival the costs of of california and but it's funny we're seeing a lot of folks especially now that because of the sort of suddenly remote lifestyles that we've all had to adopt uh you're seeing people that are that are definitely you know it's no longer a physical boundary you know but it is but we're still there is value in in being local, at least in regions, for a lot of things. Uh, yeah, that was
1: uh, that was uh, certainly something that you know uh, posed the challenges in uh, the early days. Um, not being local, uh, not having uh, uh, gone through the the usual uh, U.S. colleges or uh, whatever. Yeah. Uh, not having common references uh not having a network but you know you can you can build that over time as as long as you're uh you're persistent and you uh, have a good reason for uh <laughs> for being so then uh, you can you can make it uh it's uh it's an uphill uh, battle uh to get uh, started with but you know over, over time it gets better now with Everybody being uh, remote, uh, one way or another, things are much uh, simpler too now. You know, uh, the the playing field is uh, more level than uh, <laughs> than ever before.
0: That is true. Yeah, and this is an interesting one. And I'm, you know, I'm always torn in how, like, how much I look to the positive of what we've come out of right like it's uh, but we have to like i have to look for you know despite the situation it, it, not because of you know it's sort of like we've been able to succeed in certain ways and one thing is that being able to support remote workforces being able to level the playing field like when i used to go to a conference especially like if you want to go and, and you've got a fantastic team a fantastic product you've got this beautiful opportunity well, you're at KubeCon and you know it's now five, six years in or whatever with KubeCon. Well, all of a sudden it, all the booths are being bought by VMware, Cisco, yeah, Dell, definitely. right? And so unless you You cannot a, really right, compete there. Right. And you and but meanwhile, you you're part of the founding like teams, like all of these amazing people that literally sort of built the original community they get shoved out the sides which is why i can understand why they get a little irked about you know commercial vendors coming into an open space because all of a sudden you're now competing for marketing dollars and yeah. and it's it's tough because you can get upended from the very thing that you Created, um, so it's a uh, it's a weird. And that,
1: that was the deal uh, with uh, OpenStack as well. I mean, uh, at some point, OpenStack Summit be- became like a huge uh, industry fair yeah. that was uh, much bigger than e- anything that I have ever seen before. Mm-hmm. Like, it exploded, like uh, with vendors and uh, people. Oh, it was it was crazy. It was exciting. It was a nice place to be, but uh, but, but also it was really, really hard to make your uh, voice uh, heard without spending six figures on uh, marketing. Uh, So now I think the, 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 the pandemic uh, is helping filter bullshit out.
0: Uh, (laughs) Yeah.
1: And somebody, you know, who has something to say and uh, what he's saying has value. It's 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 not easier but at least i think he has more chances than uh, than before
0: yeah it it's the i really do welcome the opportunity for sort of democratizing access to customers it makes it harder for everybody and and i think that's kind of cool so my i mean through my work and my company we were we were very successful in digital engagement already you know we mm-hmm. were doing webinars and we were getting a couple of thousand registrations and we'd get a few hundred attendees we were getting more than we would have gotten if we'd have paid all of this money to go to a VMworld or a reinvent now it's different because there's other things that are there as part of that experience but it meant that i could literally i could build the content through audience building and other work that we've done in marketing, we could effectively bring five, 600 people to a room at once and yeah. meaningfully engage them because we exactly. learned, I learned yeah. how to do it. We built a way to do it, but now it's, you, it's, what you
1: get, it's more the, meaningful and you have more impact and right. uh, you have uh, more money to do it again and again and again, more uh, yeah. than you would probably do it uh, in a, uh, in another case. So, yeah, the hub, the problem it.
0: that we're going to bump into now is the the attention uh, economy that we're facing, right? Like so, the downside to you know before you know, so I would go to VMWorld and reinvent and and uh, Microsoft Ignite and KubeCon and OpenStack Summit and or, or Open Infrastructure Summit as it is now, right? I would go to all these things, and there'd be two hundred and fifty vendors at each one. So you all had a level playing field there in a way because you were all there at the same time and you were just fighting for you know the best t-shirts to get people yeah, to come yeah. to your booth well now
1: wasn't that course, a little bit silly though it is I mean, No, it, it, retrospect- it totally is yeah yeah <laughs> the, the
0: problem that happened with 2020 was that all of those 250 sponsoring vendors suddenly built their own virtual conference yeah and they were now fighting for time and so the that shook out pretty well and i think a lot of companies are going to be like I'm, I'm not going to do a three-day conference again uh but yeah i you're right the thing we used to do is it just doesn't make sense like i'm going to go there and like <laughs> sit on down for 15 minutes and you can win a free ipad and you yeah,
1: yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> like,
0: it's, it's such a weird thing that we have to do uh, but it works like that's the sad thing is that it, it gets people to sit down, you get their name, you phone them 22 times and it and eventually they take the demo and then you like, uh, it's a weird machine. I'm, I'm kind of saddened that that has to happen, you know, when when it it probably shouldn't have to be that way.
1: Yeah, maybe I, I do. I do believe, though, that, you know, comparing the two approaches like uh, the webinars you mentioned in your company. With the huge uh, events, uh, live events, I-, I believe that you're getting better quality. You're getting less volume, right? Uh, but you're uh, getting a uh, better quality. So I don't know. I I don't know. It's uh, it's really hard to do the math. Uh, but I have a feeling that probably uh, it uh, will be a, it will stick around. This this new approach uh, that was kind of mandatory in 2020. Um I think that going into 2021 it's not fading totally away at least. Right. Uh, we'll see.
0: I it I actually do like the idea that it could create an opportunity for a, a two-streamed events. Like so yeah, sure we will run in-person events, but we'll also provide it virtually. At the same time, whether it's all the content or it's delayed or whatever, like however they want to do it, I think it's, it does open up to parts of the world because there are parts of the world who don't have access to this content because of cost and, and, you know, like the visas and all this craziness that you got to do to come to North America. And it's funny that you... You know, you you really nicely described how like being in North America is a great thing because it's one language and it's like it's easier, you know, common time zones, like all the stuff. And it's funny being not not of, common
1: time zones. Well, uh, that, time zones true. are that's, much better in Europe. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> but but it's like it's a beautiful, positive way to describe the sort of unification of the of brand and and approach. Versus me, I've so much. I love working with European organizations and nations and languages. So I have the struggle of, I call it the arrogance of North America, that we believe everything should be done in either Pacific or Eastern, all in English. We talk too fast. We, like, everything is like, uh, so I try to
1: it's it's not that bad uh, it's not that bad try to follow somebody uh, speaking french for example oh yeah <laughs> so i, I think that like, it's this it's the same problem uh, everywhere uh, it's just that the the, seg- the segmentation and the fragmentation is different uh, so uh, yeah well i don't know maybe like the the thing that's uh, f- further away from you seems uh better uh may be it, maybe, maybe it maybe this yeah. is also the same
0: effect <laughs> yeah there's a there's a beauty in what you don't see every day i guess that's that's the thing and so i love like i was at the paris like the OpenStack uh, or the open source summit in paris uh in january that was january last year i was like so I, it seems like a, a, a decade ago because decade ago, it was, yeah. you know, it was so, so different. And I remember it was even then we were like, we knew like, got to be careful. You know, I flew with a mask anyways, because my, uh, my, my wife has a, uh, a a compromised immune system. So I just, out of habit, we always fly around with masks. So it was like kind of normal. It, like everybody would look at me strange. So like, what's wrong with that guy? Why is he wearing a mask? You know, like, oh, so, <laughs> uh, but you know, so the other thing that's interesting and and you you mentioned it mentioned in passing you said like i i doing the math so being a technical founder how did you find taking on running the business and thinking around all of that stuff that's very far from the product itself like how do you do that
1: it's it's much simpler than finding a bug in C. <laughs> so uh, you know <laughs> it's not rocket science. <laughs> uh, well, uh, you um, it's I think it's common sense and
0: uh, it's not as common as you'd think. That's that's uh, well,
1: the, yeah. I, I, depend, it, it depends on how you do business, uh, but. Uh, you know, we fa- we face it as an engineering problem. Let's say uh, that's our uh, approach to it. And uh, in uh, in this context, it wasn't uh, super uh, super hard to uh, to adapt. Of course, you know, you need you need to have some special traits. Let's say uh, I don't know if these are learned or or if you are uh, born with them uh but uh once they're there then it's a matter of just doing it like you know just just do it just uh be patient do it repeat learn uh not in this way but you know uh, in this order but something like that
0: did your background in uh coming from education and research and like that because you went so far so deep you understood the grant program system like you you went down that road did that kind of train you for hey i'm going to do something that's scientific or technical and and i need to fund it
1: uh, yeah that was like the skills the practical skills i've learned today are pretty much useless (laughs) If I try try to do anything uh, from what I was learning back in the day, I will totally fail. And even if I achieve it, nobody will care. (laughs) Because nowadays you can just get like uh, three uh, terabytes of data sets from Google and analyze them in a couple of seconds. Like that that was unheard of. Uh, But uh, in in any case, the, the useful part from all that what I value the most, at least, is the analytical thinking um, and the uh, analytical e- communication expression. Uh, like, you know, trying th- to figure out what is the reason behind something, uh, how you can get to a potential solution to this uh, problem, and then how can you communicate that in a clear. And crisp and uh, uh, fact-checked way to somebody else because you know if you know it uh, by yourself and uh, nobody else knows it then it doesn't make a lot of sense. You need to communicate this, uh, and there are people who are very good at an- analyzing things; they're not so good uh, in uh, communicating things. Uh, so you need to have like at least a bit of both. Uh, some equal portions of both. Um, that's that. That was the the key takeaway from my uh, lifetime ago education. Uh. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it also, feels like a forever ago, right? But it says yeah. the the interesting thing I like you described, like the like the rapid access to data to test the stuff out. It's so funny how, like, I remembered how difficult it was to even think about you know, doing this stuff. And first, because you had to like, if you're doing research, you have to go build the, the methodology, get the surveys, get the people, do the engagements, weed out the, like it's a, it's a very long process. And now, and then from there, then you were using SAS or whatever to like go through the data and figure out the statistical representation of your output. Yeah. It, now and it's like finding oh, it data
1: was... sets that was the hardest part yeah finding the data sets at least uh for uh the wider ai space finding the data the the, the data set that was uh impossible like uh Building them, good luck with that. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, that was the the hardest part because compute time was okay. I mean, what can you do? If you have to wait for a week, you will wait for a week. Uh, But if you don't have the data uh, to start with, then it's pretty... uh, There are are no other options and uh, the, the situation evolved so quickly that I didn't even uh, expect it uh, to, uh, to to happen like back then at least if you if in 2006 seven eight you uh, you were telling me that at some point you would be able to do uh, image labeling uh, in a couple of seconds uh, based on data from like a huge data set for free or like almost free that be, yeah you're crazy it's it's never going to be to happen. yet here we are
0: (laughs) here we are yeah what so here's an interesting thing too i remember one of my sort of favorite quotes from from peter Thiel, and he talks about this idea that we were you know we we were promised or we sought out the star trek lifestyle but all we got was the star trek computer (laughs) what on that front what's the most positive thing you've seen come as a result of technology that you've been involved in.
1: Oh, well, that's uh, that's a tough one. Especially the space is not very uh, society friendly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's it's more about the access people nowadays have uh, to uh, compute power. Uh, that's and not, not not just the compute power, but also you know the frameworks, the tools on top of that. Uh, there uh, it's today it's uh, much easier for anybody to do anything he can think of for for good or for worse. But uh, it's uh, super simple for everybody to start hacking right away with whatever their idea is, whatever they they need to do. In a couple of minutes, they can be up and running with an account on AWS, Google, Azure, wherever, and uh, do real, uh, real cool stuff with it, uh, with ten bucks per month or something like that. Yeah. Uh, that that was something that, you know, looking back was uh, was missing. Uh, not very long ago, uh, just like fifteen years ago. So it's not like a, a half a century or anything like that. Uh, but it does, it certainly does seem so. Uh, like the the space that we have covered and the uh, the evolution over this small period of time is uh, very impressive. And uh, being able to just you know create an account, click a button, uh, and get ten servers in uh, five seconds, and then start running. Uh, uh, Cat picture analysis on it that's like that, that's uh that's that's a fairy tale it, it sounds like a fairy tale and you know although I, i'm not sure sure if uh, people actually appreciate that it's uh it's a game changer in uh all so many ways
0: that is true and it's funny like we we you having grown up through the evolution of it You know i i see the beauty in where we've gotten in the like you said the access that we have that we open up not just for us but for anyone uh or most everyone at least and but yeah then all of a sudden you bump into something like It took me like three minutes to boot up my instance. This is garbage. They're like, (laughs) like, no, (laughs) you don't understand. We used to have to like physically provision servers, get budget, get it shipped to you, get it on the floor, contact seven teams to get it connected to the data center.
1: And one year later, you can run your program. (laughs)
0: That's right. To which you have no data, no, like, like, so we can literally go this. I use uh, a product called Algorithmia for Mm -hmm. some stuff. And it was literally like for another beautiful abstraction that I needed to do like do natural language processing. And so I built a little platform where I was doing like daily journaling. And so I'm like, let me take this and run it through NLP. And it was, I'm like, do I hack this together on AWS and go through that? I'm like, hey, why don't I check this algorithm out? And it literally is just like an API. You send it JSON results of your data. It sends you back your response. It gives you your sentiment analysis. Like this is even better. And same thing, they've got a free tier that I've been using this for a long time. I've never had to pay money. And- I hope they're not we... listening. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I yeah. I keep waiting. When I saw and at reInvent this year, we saw more about like that level of access inside Amazon specifically. And Google has that, of course, all the others I, the weird thing is, isn't it isn't funny? Like for me, at least when someone says public cloud, AWS, it's like a it's like word association to me yeah. because it's my broadest sort of exposure. Um, but and even and for
1: in- a, a long time they were like the only player out there, so it's very yeah. reasonable. Yeah, I because still use AWS terminology when trying to describe things and. Uh, <laughs> Uh, some people uh, are uh, looking at me uh well, like what, what what are you talking about like i'm using azure only oh yeah sorry 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 about that that's right <laughs> the, the default thing is aws terminology
0: yeah i remember go- presenting at ignite with a with the engineering team from the compute side uh, for azure and it was so funny the 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 person that was there he's like hey can you do me a favor Make sure you don't say instances. <laughs> i like, don't worry. I know, I know. I know we got to call them VMs and we talk about subscriptions, not the accounts. I, I got it. I got it. It's instead of families. So like, yeah. yeah. It, it, is, it is. I think now we're far enough along that people kind of get it, uh, luckily. But it, it is, yeah. you do want to sort of speak in the local dialect, I guess. <laughs>
1: Well, at, at at least on a terminology level, I think they have uh, beaten everybody else.
0: <laughs> well, that was it. When Remember when Azure didn't expose availability zones, they called them data centers. And then their regions, they had less regions, and then they the terminology inside Azure was different. Yeah. And then they finally said, look, Everyone is calling them availability zones and regions. Let's just call them that. Like I get yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I get it. Andy Jassy, you were right. We we agree. We'll get there.
1: Yeah, I there's mean, a, there's no uh, reason to fight that.
0: There's a there's a funny there's a uh, in in Canada. This is a weird thing that you cannot buy, or you well, now you can, but you couldn't buy liquor or beer in anywhere other than a dedicated government operated store and it was called brewers retail for yeah, decades i, I right? mean that
1: today i cannot do it yeah right. I, it used to be a case
0: yeah but it, like now you can like but oh, okay. like this is like i'll say now it's like a decade ago since they've they've changed or right? but is only it? in the last couple of years since you could buy it in like grocery stores or whatever so it was but it was always called brewers retail and it was run in mm-hmm. the, the other one's lcbo liquor control board of ontario in 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 and it was very specific, but they called it Brewers Retail. That's what they called it. Everybody mm. else called it the beer store because that's <laughs> what it was. And eventually they gave in and they renamed it the beer store. The because... beer store, yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like we've got to stop trying to morph society into our ways. We've just got to accept that that's how it goes. It's like when people ask me, they're like, how many of your customers are using AWS? I'm like, easy all of them like all of them whether they do it directly or indirectly it's all of them but they're also using google they're also using azure for different things right and and that's kind of where we're going uh,
1: but even if they do use other platforms i think the uh the, the terminolo- terminology nowadays has uh from aws has prevailed also because there are so many different ways to say the same thing that people are just tired of learning every weird uh term that somebody invented that's just to differentiate himself from another vendor or something like that so yeah right. like we 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 deal with that uh, on a daily basis I and mean, like api calls things are like oh it's uh it's terrible and uh it, it's impressive how far people go to differentiate themselves in no meaningful way
0: uh <laughs> that is funny yeah and And then you see, so the APIs and the SDKs, like the way that your interface and the way that software interfaces with them will have a different language than the marketing language because they'll have adopted, but meanwhile, for a long time, they'll have like a V1 API that still refers to, you know, data center instead of availability zone, right? Now that's the other thing too, how, before we finish up, I'd love to talk about keeping up with partners. Because you're effectively working on top of other APIs and other integration integrations with partners, how do you make sure that you're on pace with them for your customers who want to, you know, have MIST be their, their proxy to that part of the world?
1: Yeah, so there's not a magic recipe, I'm, I'm afraid. <laughs> uh, there's a, a lot of work involved and uh, the key uh, part, here is a qa, a QA a CICD. Uh, so we have invested a lot on all those processes automated as much of it as we can run as many tests as we can as often as we can uh, so that's the that's the only way like we we continuously track uh, what's happening with the supported providers. We're testing uh, everything in many ways uh, on the API layer, like with a headless browser, etc., uh, etc. Cetera, et cetera. So uh, that's uh, the only reliable way we have found uh, to uh, to keep up with uh, everything. Uh, it's not easy, but you know, once you set it up, things are better. They're not great. It's not like we're uh hanging around and uh have nothing to do but uh, uh you just keep to uh, you just keep rep- you have to keep improving it maintaining it and all that but yeah there's a there's a lot of effort involved and obviously like the more parameters you add to the process the more uh, complicated and uh, time con- consuming it becomes so yeah, that's uh, and that's part of the reason why we're not just uh, multi-cloud; we're like a uh, hundred cloud, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because, uh, because we're running infrastructure everywhere. Uh, uh, MistIO supports more than uh, twenty providers currently, uh, so we have infrastructure everywhere. You know, many regions uh, from uh, one provider for each provider, so it it can be uh, it can be complicated.
0: Yeah, that's the the thing. You can't rely on everybody being on the big three uh, because there are or you, you can't, you can, but you've narrowed your customer case. But meanwhile, you have you've taken a, a, a specific choice to go further and thus open up your customer ecosystem much wider, which is both good and, and also challenging, of course, because yeah, you're you're basically accruing technical debt at the rate that Bitcoin is increasing <laughs> <laughs> at r- a risk of it more. But I like that, you know, testing and creating the automated testing and QA and, and CIC, like putting all that stuff in at the core means that you are much more adaptable As those changes occur and you discover them because like I've seen product after product where we promise, you know, like as we're doing the first design, like the first thing you do is you say, okay, we got to hit this date how do we get there easy let's get rid of testing and yeah yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Like, <laughs> like no no you don't understand that'll never never win like you'll never val- gain value by removing testing because you then you have to remove testing every time because you're yeah, doing yeah. this every time oh, <laughs> well, chris it's uh, I'm I'm really I'm really cheering you and the team on uh, with what you're doing. Um, and for you know, we're gonna do some some neat some public facing stuff. We're gonna do some writing together, which is I'm I'm excited by because I'm gonna totally just steal all your capabilities and put my name beside them. So it's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's a nice uh, it's nice to do. But and I I I really appreciate the way you're approaching first to your customers you know and and the way that you're you it very much comes through in the way you talk about everything even in the excitement of the technology it's not just the technology itself but you know what we can do with it and uh, you know being able to open up access being able to use this stuff for good uh it's it's yeah, the star
1: star trek effect
0: yeah i very much <laughs> i look forward to you know, building the the tricoder and not just the computer <laughs> that tells me like a giant Siri whether I should turn left or right at a particular map's point. So it's uh, it, I'm excited by what we all have ahead, and and to be able to be on this journey in in the ecosystem with folks like yourself. I'm I'm I have a massive respect for what you're doing.
1: Thank you, likewise, and uh, thanks for uh, hosting me today. It was uh, really uh, nice catching up again. Yeah, uh, after uh, some time,
0: we'll do this again. Hopefully, we'll see as we get further in the year. We'll 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 jump back on again because we'll hear kind of how things are going. It's going to be a big year. We got a lot of a lot of steers, you know, steering and turning ahead to figure out you know what the what the event ecosystem is going to look like, what the product ecosystem is going to look like um as the you think we'll get the
1: chance to meet in person this year
0: i i i i would i'd love to say yes but (laughs) i i've also learned uh you know i i'm I'm old enough this funny thing so like when i if i hurt myself I, I used to be angry that I couldn't go riding or running that next day. I was like, that was the yeah. level of impatience that I had. <laughs> now I hurt myself. I'm like, you know what? there's always next season. like I'm always- <laughs> next, next spring I can get back on it. So the good thing is that I we will meet uh, in person again. Uh, I hope it's this year. I really, truly do hope that we uh, we all get a chance to get out more. Um, but either way, I look forward to the cans, whether it's on on our side of the world on uh, where this time my side of those being recorded or whether it's I would love to come see your part of the world as well. Uh,
1: if it's summer, it's probably our part of the world. Yeah, yeah that's, <laughs> it, that's it. So,
0: uh, Chris, um, I'll, we'll put in links, of course, folks who want to check out mist.io. Uh, get involved. Uh, check it out. Very, very cool. And Chris and the team are doing really, really neat stuff. Um, So thank you very much for for sharing your story today. Thank you.